I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 11th, 2010. I will start the show off by advising you to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and I tell you that you, the listener, bring me to you. Look at the items for sale, and please buy them, because that's what keeps me going. I don't take ads from advertisers, and the money that comes in is simply from you, the ones that listen to keep me going. And hopefully you'll keep listening in. And we are definitely on a roll towards a new world order. Even though the news is very, very quiet, there's big things happening, obviously. And uh, world meetings going on. Uh, the IMF is really coming to the fore. That kind of stuff happens. But meanwhile, the, the media itself is giving us basic trivia and a lot of recycled news. Lots of recycled news. Stuff that's been said over and over and over, but nothing much happening. What happens, I should say. So getting back to what I'm saying, if you want to look into all the audios I've given in the past, go into cuttingthroughmedics.com. you find hundreds of them there, and uh, it proves them at your heart's content. Listen to them. You don't have to agree with everything I say, but you can definitely check out what I do say, and uh, hopefully that will put you on the way to some kind of understanding of this big complicated con game we call reality and uh, give you some sort of idea of how to handle it in your own way. Because that's all it boils down to, is how will you handle the big changes? How have you handled the big changes? Did you even know they were happening? Or were you simply adapting along with everyone else? Remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can buy my books by going to websites and using a personal check or an international uh, postal money order. Or you can send cash. Some people just send the cash and same across the rest of the world. Plus, remember, too, everyone can use PayPal to donate or to order. If you want to order, make sure that you send the donation and followed by a separate uh, email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get that out to you. So that's my rushed entry tonight because we're a bit late getting on for some reason. And as I say, this New World Order um, is not really new. It's been on the go long before you were born. There's been other world orders in history. Even the feudal system was a world order. The dominant church was a world order. And before Christianity, there were world orders too under empires, basically using the same techniques and always having what Huxley called a dominant minority to rule over the public 
and with the dominant uh, money boys to finance those big empires as well and tax the people too. They still do today. Back with more after these messages. I am Alan Watts, and we're back cutting through the matrix. That guitar is great because it just wails. And as I say, that's how you often feel when you live through this big system, which really you have no control over. It's control over you, it always did, and your parents and grandparents and, and those into the distant past even. Because as far back as the 1700s, there's lots of books written around revolutionary times when they talked about the the kind of system they'd like to bring in. You had different levels of authors in those days. Uh, some of them simply worked for the revolution, promoting the revolution, and others went into the more philosophical parts of it and what kind of society they hoped to bring out of it. And it's, a, it's amazing, as I say, when you look at the, even uh, the, um, the writings coming out of France, especially uh, from some of the big authors there, when they talked about this system, which really resembled communism, in all of its ways, in fact, including some of the techniques it also used. And, in fact, a lot of the techniques of, of killing off an elite and an intelligentsia class uh, to take over by mass slaughter was, was copied, in fact, by the Bolsheviks when they got into power. And you have to go into the commune as well uh, of, uh, of France to see what happened there and what they were proposing to do. Again, a communistic society. And it wasn't just peasants, believe you me, it wasn't just a peasants' revolt. There was most of the elites at the top. That, I mean, the real elites were on board with it, especially the money bags. But today, we're going into the whole changing of society. And, and Huxley talked about this, Aldous Huxley, when he talked about the, the scientific side of things. And that's really what we're all aiming towards, the eradication of all religions, which kept people in bondage, they claimed, or superstition was a term they would love to use even today, and replace it with science, science supposedly being beyond refute and exact and truthful. And, of course, science has been used, as we know, for many bogus theories uh, right up to the present time of global warming, so it's it's anything but the the be-all and end-all of truth. It's used for political purposes, as always things are, of course. Things will always end up being used for political purposes. But so many people wrote about the same things at the same time in the 20th century too. And Huxley himself and, uh, and Bertrand Russell talked about science and a scientific revolution. Uh, Russell went, too far, uh, went as far as to say that if there was to be uh, a dictatorial society, a tyrannical society, he'd rather have it be a scientific tyranny than any other kind of tyranny. Of course, he himself and his offspring or his descendants, I'm sure, uh, would benefit from that. They would go on through it without being uh, slaughtered like those below or sterilized and all the rest of it. Charles Darwin was all part of this too. It's amazing how Darwin and Marx and all these characters came out at the same time to promote this new society when the, the, the heights of the, 
the Industrial Revolution. Uh, they're producing amazing things mechanically. Uh, the steam engine, of course, was being improved all the time. The weapons and armaments industry was going like you would not believe. And they even had international arms trading uh, shows, expos in different countries to show off the latest big howitzer guns, all that type of thing. And they thought this was a time for would-be tyrants to get in on the act because they saw this power that was coming up through science and they knew they could use this to conquer whole nations very quickly and even reduce the planet to rubble if they wanted to. Uh, tremendous heady power, very, very heady power for those who wanted to get up into areas of rulership. And with them came, of course, the philosophies of who should be the totalitarian ruler. Should it be a sort of Nazi socialist, national socialist type philosophy advocating a superior species being bred out of the existing uh, higher-ups of the Aryan race? Or should it be scientifically designed where the best genes were kept out of every people to be used and put together in individuals who would end up being geniuses for the communist side. Uh, so really, when you boil it down to it, they were all on this. They would take you back to the same ending. The paths was always meet at the end with right, left, and everything else. I don't think the capitalist society, as they called it, was any different. Uh, they used combinations of both fascism and communism. In fact, they supported the Communist Party and helped feed them for 50, 60, 70 years all through the Soviet era because the big banking elites, the big aristocracy uh, realized that uh, an obedient society was, had always been their problem. And with a scientific society, they could make that happen. They could bring it in and they would use the dialectic process to get it going, and countries would have to give up all their sovereignty uh, and come together under a global world system of control, total control, where it, w- it wouldn't just give you jobs and so on, it would decide who would get born and who would not get born, according to your, your gene types, any inferior possible genes would determine if you even got born. In fact, it would determine if, it, if two people could even mate together, and they foresaw the time, like, like Huxley did himself, when Engineers would basically use artificial uh, inception and so on, and gene removal, gene enhancement, take some out, add some others to to create the perfect society. Uh, This was all happening, as I say, uh, from the 1800s even, right through the the 1900s and the 20th century. This amazing goal for a lot of stuff they supposedly hadn't even discovered at that time, uh, and that's always astounded me that they didn't find the gene until much later, but they always called it the gene, and they just knew they were on those chromosomes. So they've known about this long before the public were were told in the history books um, of what was being discovered. They were way ahead of anything the public were ever told. You cannot make predictions on things that, that you're hoping for and, and put all your plans into motion, uh, banking and counting on that you have to know that, that you've actually found these things, that you can do what you want to do. All you have to do is create the right circumstances and get the public to accept it. How do you do that? Well, you bring in the Bernays guys, the PR companies, the marketing companies. You create massive feminist movements until women really don't need guys, except maybe to have a child. And even that you can do with, it, with bypassing the father altogether now and simply send an egg off somewhere. And pick, pick the, the type of male that you want to be fertilized by 
I'd even pick a woman to carry it for you, and that way you save your nice figure. That's all happening and has been done for quite a few years now. So technically we're in a form of brave new world where all old values go out the window. And it's like Nietzsche said, he said, uh, when he said God is dead, he said, how would you behave in a world where God is dead? Meaning your morality-wise, your values and morality and so on, your whole world outlook, how would you behave and see it all if, if there was no God? And suddenly, by some reason, you could actually know that for a fact. How would your worldview be then? In other words, you'd be wide open to become gods, those who wanted to. And therefore, you had all the, the Superman-type characters coming out of National Socialism. Uh, before Hitler did, started in London. And you find the founders of the Fabian Society, for instance, talked about the creation of Superman. And George Bernard Shaw wrote uh, the short um, story, Man and Superman. And how the old type would not be allowed, those who were unable to adapt and to new technologies, they would not be allowed to come in to the new type because according to Darwin, they would hold back and destroy those who are fit to come through. The same ideology that Hitler used, and the same ideology, by the way, uh, as the Soviets used, because Hitler learned everything from the Soviets on how to mass kill. They'd been at it a lot longer, and they also wanted to create the Soviet man. They called it the new Soviet man, a new creature with the help of Pavlov indoctrination and, of course, genetic tinkering and tampering, they believed they could create this, this kind of creature for what they called world peace. There's many ways of bringing world peace. Uh, Arthur Kessler and others talked about it too in his book Ghost in the Machine and how different branches working under the United Nations were trying all kinds of chemical, physical lob- lobotomies to try to find ways to kill off that part of the brain that makes you independent. Because the UN had declared that independence, the individual, individuality, was their main enemy and the enemy of man. And so, therefore, they would have to basically do something to alter man himself, but not the elites. The elite had to retain their, their wild capabilities, as Charles Galton Darwin said in the 1950s, uh, because they would be guiding the world and would have to have all their self-preservation faculties working. But the public would need it, he said, because the state would be making all their decisions for them. Most folk think of the state as a system uh, where, where government simply comes out in an authoritarian way and speaks down to you, kind of like the BBC did for, 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 for decades, actually. Same as Radio Moscow used to do. They just give you announcements from the top down, different ministries, uh, have decided this and different ministries have decided that. That's all you heard, one after another. Uh, now that the public relations department to make it softer and to tell you lies in a, in a more entertaining fashion. But what we fail to realize is this agenda is going on full steam ahead, full steam ahead. There's an article, for instance, uh, I haven't got it here, but... Um, where the greatest breakthrough for infertile women, now that so many women are infertile, um, that uh, they can get transplants of a womb. And I guess I'll put it in temporarily till you have the child, but because of the, the rejection problems and the costs of it all on various kinds of uh, cortisones and anti-rejection drugs, then they can remove it after the baby's born. Uh, and of course women do champion science as, as, their, as their new god, actually. The one that gives you the total body makeover, according to Oprah Winfrey, 
and all the 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 gurus are put out there to for women to follow. And um, we'll see where it goes with that. It's just amazing how they adapt first, but then women do adapt quickly, as you know at the top. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. And here's a quote by Aldous Huxley from his 1962 speech at Berkeley. And I have the link to the whole talk up on my site in the archive section, but it's elsewhere. you'll find it elsewhere on the net. And it, it says here, and it, it seems to me that the nature of the ultimate revolution, it's the ultimate revolution, you see, with which we are now forced or faced is precisely this, that we are in the process of developing a whole series of techniques which will enable the controlling oligarchy who have always existed and presumably will always exist to get people to love their servitude, to love their servitude. And, you know, we, we, get, we get up and angry about that, but, you know, when you read Charles Galton Darwin, he also says that there's always been uh, systems of slavery. It's always existed and he, and he said in his book, The Next Million Years, we are now in the process of creating a more sophisticated form of slavery. Sophisticated meaning that you wouldn't really realize you were a slave, even though you're a wage slave, paying it all back in taxes as they spread the wealth, supposedly redistribute the wealth across the planet, as they're doing right now after the worst crash we've ever had. Uh, that's what they're doing with your tax money, but they can't help you at home because you're global now, you see. You're part of the ultimate revolution and they're going all the way, including bioengineering human beings. And they've been bioengineering us for a long time. You can see the effects around you if you walk into town on the young men and the young women. You'll see the effects there. That's actually there. It's very obvious. And then, of course, they have the ones to play on the mind by different techniques. And Dr. Jose... M.R. Delgado, who was director of neuropsychiatry at Yale University Medical School, Congressional Record, number 26, volume uh, 118, February 24, 1974, said this. He says, we need a program of psychosurgery for political control of our society. That ties in, as I said, with what they were talking about um, with Arthur Kessler in his book, The Ghost in the Machine. He says, the purpose of physical control of the mind Everyone who deviates from the given norm can be surgically mutilated. The individual may think that the most important reality is his own existence. And that's how we do live. We live and think, you know, we don't want to die. It it is you. You're the only you there is. But we think um, that we're important enough to keep on living, at least hopefully to yourself or to others. But this is not only his personal point of view. Man does not have the right to develop his own mind. That's why they're using all these techniques in school today for groupthink. It says, we must electronically control the brain. Someday armies and generals will be controlled by electronic stimulation of the brain. But he also talked about the whole population getting it. Well, tie that in with the, the writings of, um, of um, Kissinger, uh, Brzezinski, I should say. Brzezinski in his book, The Technotronic Era. The actual book was Between Two Ages. And go to the Technotronic Era, the chapter. And you'll be quite amazed 
at uh, what he was talking about there, techniques of bathing a whole continents in particular electronic waves that could pacify the people and make them very placid. Now, they never talk about things unless they've already tested them out. And they, they have tested this stuff out on populations, large populations. And then they have the study, the crime reports come in, is it upper, is it down, and so on and so on. Mind you, they can also make you very aggressive with uh, with these techniques as well. And they, all, they have done that too to study uh, the effects of violence as it go up or down or what what happens. So the, the, what they're talking about actually does work. And now we're under the total surveillance society as well, under the, 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 the comic guise, I should say, the tragic comedy guise of terrorism, which is beautiful for ramming everything through, since obviously everyone is a potential terrorist, they just don't know it yet. But given the right circumstances, they might turn into one. That's what they mean by it. That's what they mean by it. And remember, too, what um, Kissinger said about the definition of a terrorist what, when he was asked at a European meeting what he meant by terrorism, what was a terrorist, he said anyone or groups of people who are against uh, the, the new world order, the new globalist society. And since we're at this stage of the game and no one mumbles much about it, don't mumble much because I've never ever had been, never been given so much entertainment as they have today, never in history. Has so much entertainment been given the public through electronic gadgets that are cheap enough for most folk to buy? And they can just pass their time staring at these little screens or, or texting their friends and all that kind of stuff and chasing rainbows and going from one guru to the next to find out the meaning of life. But never ever have they had this, this kind of technique used before. Who would have thought that basically entertainment, games, and movies and texting people uh, would occupy most of the people's free time, including the youngsters too. While everything that everyone fought for in the past has been taken away from them. And they still think, because they still think that they are important, like what the Gatto said, he says most people think um, that, that the most important reality is his whole own existence. But that's only his personal point of view. Most folk do live in that it's a natural state to be. You think, you think I must be uh, important. I've got to keep feeding myself. I've got to live. It's an imperative to live. So you think you have that to go by. But no, these guys have decided otherwise. If you're to live at all, it's not because they're going to suffer you in the meantime and use you and tax you and send you off for wars to finish off the rest of the world global system. Back with more after these messages. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix just going over, recapping basically stuff we've gone over before but if you don't remember the basics you won't remember anything else as you're flooded daily with bits and bytes of news and lots of data, just data, 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 most of which you forget because it's just too much data to remember. 
And that's also part of the Internet. They knew at the time at the top that they could overcome most people's reluctance to go along with the changes in the world, uh, even when they start their blogs up in their chat rooms. In fact, they, they, they set up a lot of forums for them to join, uh, but they put the provocateurs in there as well from the beginning. And uh, But they could also overflood people with data until the, their brains kind of shut down and everything would become a kind of fantasy to them. Much like the mainstream media has become a fantasy to most people when it's interspersed with Hollywood and the bimbos and all that kind of stuff. It's not real news anymore at all. It's, you cannot mix it all with entertainment and call it news. So we have all these games played on us. It's only important really to remember the basic stuff as we go through the big changes which have been planned. And remember, too, that big international institutions, that they like to call the foundations institutions, is something that goes along with government but is not government but for which government depends. And you, big, you find the big institutions, as they like to call themselves private companies, um, work hand in glove with governments because what politician that you know of could walk into a position and get appointed to see the health uh, uh, high chutzpah for the country uh, when they know nothing about health or they get put in charge of energy where they were a, a real estate lawyer before that or something like that. It's because they depend on the bureaucrats and so on, and, it, and the bureaucrats depend on handouts on all these different areas from the, the marketers who work for the institutions themselves. So technically, government is run through a couple of ways. And the most common one is to do it through the handouts, the marketers, the RAND Corporation, for instance, that's listed as a private non-governmental organization, a charitable organization that runs the military and everything else. (laughs) But, um, of course, that's a parallel government, as we say. Uh, A parallel government runs the other governments, and the other governments at the top know it. they're, They're darned well aware of it, all of them. There hasn't been a prime minister elected or a president elected since 1946 who knew, who did not know what was going on and what was planned for the world because they all signed at the meeting in San Francisco onto the United Nations and they all had to sign that they would give up parts of their sovereignty a bit at a time. And now we're on the rush now. It's coming out uh, Stephen Harper in Canada when he was at the G20 meeting. Uh, you'll see a little clip on YouTube. I'll put the link up for you. It's only about 20 seconds. But he does mention that uh, a lot of people don't like what's happening because we have to give up some of our sovereignty uh, for the new global economy. Now, people think, what is the new global economy? It's an economy where where the World Trade Organization, the ones that brought us the, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs and various other Star Chamber organizations, um, that they're bringing us into a new system along with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, another private company under the United Nations umbrella, under the, the World Bank umbrella as well. Again, private organizations made up of international private uh, moneylenders. Uh, that's what runs the world, and they're bringing this all in. They want to restructure the world. They want to, the right to run every country's economy, finances, all their, their bookkeeping, everything. That's what they want to do. And that's how, what it was set up to do. And those who set up the IMF, for instance, talked about it at the time. George Maynard Keynes talked about it. The second part would come after he was dead. Well, that's now. As it rises up to its glorious position, as they would say. So here's an article here. 
from the Washington Post, uh, Sunday, October the 10th. It says, financial regulators are planning worldwide, worldwide rules for large firms. International bank regulators are planning a fresh wave of rules for the world's most important financial companies in an effort to ensure that firms considered too big to fail are better protected from collapse and that taxpayers are insulated from the fallout if they do. Well, that will never happen. The last, last part, I should say. The new regulations could include demands that such firms, referred to by regulators as systemically important financial institutions, keep more capital on hand than other banks and companies, draft detailed living wills, living wills to outline how they could be easily or eased into bankruptcy without damaging the larger economy and be subject to more intense government supervision. While many of the details are still to be worked out, the head of the effort said a general set of 16 recommendations will be presented at a gathering of world leaders in next month in CO. You know, you know, as all these things happen in the world today, happen outside our countries, in some far-off place that we can't go and just go in and listen to what they're doing. That's all intentional too, of course. It says the companies in question are very big and powerful, said Mario Draghi, head of the Central Bank of Italy and chairman of the Financial Stability Board, the international panel working on the new regulations. There needs to be supervision of the global level, that you need supervision up to the challenge, and so on and so on. So it says they want a system where it's less likely for globally important firms to get into trouble. Well, that means they're going to be more covered. They're never probably by the taxpayer because the big bankers rule the world and rule this oversight financial stability board too, I'm sure. Who appointed these guys in this position of this private agency? But it doesn't really concern the general public because they go on, they have been dumbed down, they have been, or they have lived through a war on their mind and they don't even know it. They've been conditioned from schooling with scientific indoctrination. They don't know that either. And most people are really just wrapped up in television and having fun, and hopefully they can carry on with that forever. That's what they wish. And when you ask many of them who do understand a little bit, they'll say, well, the worst will come after I'm dead. I can live. I, I can live and be happy in my lifetime. They don't care what the next generation are landed with. And then, of course, the IMF gets into the act as well. And this was an article actually published in 2009 when they warned over parallels to the Great Depression. That was to get them to get the world ready to 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 demand that they come up to their full power as they were intended to be, running the whole world's economy. I'll put this link up as well to let you know that we're living through a pantomime where they release these these articles at the right time, at the right time, in concert with other articles that are similar, to make you think that it's all so imperative that they have their way. Not that we can do much to stop them, because all your politicians are on board with them. They do what they're told. We also get the articles which are farcical, because they always want you to think that governments just are so shoddy that they slip up and make incredible farcical payments to people who either don't exist or are dead and stuff like that. Britain's famous for that. Like they just keep screwing up. But they're not, they're not screwing up at all. They're not stupid either. There's always another reason why money goes missing or is put out to people who are dead, for instance. 
Here's the U.S. as well. It says 72,000 stimulus payments went to dead people. So that gives folk at the bottom a bit of chatter amongst them. So what did you hear that dead folk got all the stimulus packages? It says more than 89,000 stimulus payments of $250 each went to people who were either dead in prison or in prison, a government investigator says in a new report. The payments, which were part of last year's massive economic recovery package, were meant to increase consumer spending to help stimulate the economy. But about $18 billion went to nearly 72,000 people who were dead. According to the report by the Social Security Administration's Inspector General, they have everybody's data day by day. They know when you die. It's instant. It's instant retrieval. They don't make mistakes. So where'd that money really go? We'll never, ever, ever know. Then it says in addition to 4.3 million uh, extra went to more than 17,000 prison inmates. The report said most of them, it turns out, were eligible to get the payments because they were newly incarcerated and had been receiving Social Security before they were locked up. So all in all, $250 payments were sent to about 52 million people who received either Social Security or Supplemental Security income. Now, again, that's also meant to make people angry about those who who are at the bottom of the ladder. Have you all forgotten how much we all have paid out and will be paying for the next 10 generations to the banks to bail them out with cash gifts? Because the biggest welfare, the biggest welfare goes to the corporations, the big corporations and the big military boys. In Canada, too, we've got... uh, companies here that supply the military uh, with their big machines and weapons and so on. And every so often, every four or five years, they talk, oh, we're failing, we're failing, we'll have to leave off, lay off thousands of people, and they get cash grants from the government. Grants. That's not a loan, that's a grant, it's a gift. But no, they, they turn it off on, on this kind of thing, on those at the bottom. But, but really, when the money it gets paid out to all these dead people, 72,000 dead people, that money really was slated for something else. That's what really happened with that. Now, James Dellingpole from The Telegraph has written quite a lot about articles about the con of global warming and the climate change stuff and so on. And he says here, U.S. physics professor, global warming is the greatest and most successful pseudoscientific fraud I've seen in my long life. And this was a rehash of something that came out before but he put it out again because it's so important and pertinent to what's happening. It says, um, Harold Lewis is Emeritus Professor of Physics at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He is, in his letter of resignation to Curtis G. Gallen, Jr., Princeton University, President of the American Physical uh, Society. Here is his letter of resignation. And this is, this is what he said. This is an important moment in science history. I would describe it as a letter on the scale of Martin Luther nailing his 95 thesis to the Wittenberg church door. It's worthy of repeating this letter in entirety on every blog that discusses science. It's so utterly damning that I'm going to run it in full without further comment. It says here, Dear Kurt, when I first joined the American Physical Society uh, 67 years ago, it was much smaller, much gentler, and yet uncorrupted by the money flood, a great threat against which Dwight Eisenhower warned a half century ago. Indeed, the choice of physics as a profession was then a guarantor of a life of poverty and abstinence. It was World War II that changed all that. 
the prospect of worldly gain drove few physicists. As recently as 35 years ago, when I chaired the first APS study of a contentious uh, social scientific issue, the reactor safety study, though there were zealots, a, a plenty on the outside, and there was no hint of inordinate pressure on us as physicists, we were therefore able to produce what I believe was and is an honest appraisal of the, the situation at that time. We were further enabled by the presence of an oversight committee consisting of P.F. Panofsky, uh, Vicky Weisskopf, and Hans Beth, all towering physicists beyond reproach. I was proud of what we did in a charged atmosphere. In the end, the Oversight Committee, in its report to the APES president, noted the complete independence in which we did the job and predicted that the report would be attacked from both sides. What greater tribute could there be? How different it is now. The giants no longer walk the earth, and the money flood has become the reason de true of much physics research the vital sustenance of much more, and it provides the support for untold numbers of professional jobs. They'll live on grants, you see. For reasons that will soon become clear, my former pride at being an APS fellow at these years has been turned into shame, and I'm forced with no pleasure at all to offer you my resignation from the society. It is, of course, a global warming scam, with literally trillions of dollars driving it that has corrupted so many scientists and has carried the APS before it like a rogue wave. It's the greatest and most successful pseudoscientific fraud I have seen in my long life as a physicist. Anyone who has the faintest doubt that this is so should force himself to read the Climate Gate documents which lay bare, and Montford's book organizes the facts very well. I don't believe that any real physicist, nay scientist, can read that stuff without revulsion. I would always make that revulsion a definition of the word scientist. So what, what has the APS as an organization done in the face of this challenge? It has accepted the corruption as the norm and gone along with it. For example, about a year ago, a few of us sent an email on the subject to a fraction of the membership. APS ignored the issues, but the then president immediately launched a hostile investigation of where we got the email addresses. In its better days, APS used to encourage discussion of important issues, and indeed the Constitution cites that, that it is its principal purpose. No more, everything that has been done in the last year has been des- designed to silence debate. The appallingly tendentious APS statement on climate change was apparently written in a hurry by a few people over lunch, and is certainly not representative of the talents of APS members as I have long known them. So a few of us petitioned the council to reconsider it. One of the outstanding marks of indistinction in the statement was the poison word incontrovertible, which describes few items in physics, certainly not this one. In response, APS obtained a secret committee that never met, never troubled to speak to any skeptics, yet endorsed the statement in its entirety. They did admit that the tone was a bit strong, but amazingly kept the poison word incontrovertible to describe the evidence, a position supported by no one. In the end, the Council kept the original statement word for word, but approved a far longer explanatory screed, admitting that there were uncertainties, but brushing them aside to give blanket approval to the original. This original statement, which still stands as the APS position, also contains what I consider pompous and asinine advice to all world governments. That's interesting, to all world governments as if the APS were masters of the universe. It is not, and I am embarrassed to think that our leaders seem to think it is. 
This is not fun and games. These are serious matters involving vast amounts of our national substance and the reputation is at stake. Three, in the interim, the Climate Gate scandal broke into the news and the machinations of the principal alarmists were revealed to the world. It was a fraud on a scale I have never seen and I'd lack the words to describe its enormity. Effects on the APS position, none. None at all. This is not science. Other forces are at work. And that's true. So a few of us try to bring sciences into the act, that is, after all, the alleged and historic purpose of APS, and collected the necessary 200-plus signatures to bring the Council a proposal for a, a topical group on climate science, thinking that open discussion of the scientific issues in the best tradition of physics would be beneficial to all and also a contribution to the nation. I might note that it was not easy to collect the signatures since she denied us the use of the APS membership list. You see how a tight shop it is? It's a must-be, you see. Nothing's to change this, no matter what happens. Even a deep freeze isn't to change it. But I'll put these links up for you to read in full on cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show. Back with more after this. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And just to finish off something in the same vein, this came out from New Zealand, and it's a video you can watch it for yourself. But it's, a, that's, it's called a legal defeat for the global warming in Kiwi Gate scandal. It verifies what Dylan Paul said last week when he said that um, the new findings are coming out. We'll find, and from the Bilderbergers too, of course, who had global cooling down their agenda. He said, watch them distance themselves, all the, the big governments and so on, from the conmen. And it says, legal defeat for global warming in Kiwigate scandal. In the climate controversy dubbed Kiwigate, the New Zealand skeptics inflict shock courtroom defeat on climatologists implicated in temperature data fraud. So at least in, in, in New Zealand, they put them on trial and they were found guilty. So New, New, New Zealand's government via its National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research, NIWA, has announced it has nothing to do with the country's official climate record and what commentators are calling a capitulation from the tainted uh, climate reconstruction. The story is also covered on web news aggregator site icecap.com. It says, NIWA's statement of defense claims they were never responsible for the national temperature record. Uh, the climb down is seen as a legal triumph for skeptics of the New Zealand Climate Science Coalition who had initiated their challenge last August when petitioning the High Court of New Zealand to uh, invalidate the Weather Service's reconstruction of Antipodean temperatures as poles. So it says the, the petition may be read, and it gives you the link. You can read it yourself. According to the August statement of the claim from NZCSC, climate scientists cooked the books by using the same alleged trick employed by British and American scientists. This involves subtly imposing a warming bias during what is known as the homogenization process that occurs when climate data needs to be adjusted. The specific charge brought against the Kiwi government was that its climate scientists had taken the raw temperature records of the country 
and then adjusted them artificially with the result that a steeper warming trend was created than would otherwise exist by examination of the raw data. So they copied it exactly as it was the, the, the East Anglia University boys who were getting millions of bucks poured into their research for all their lies that they were putting out. It's a political agenda, right? So indeed, the, key, the original Kiwi records show no warming during the 20th century, but after government-sponsored climatologists had manipulated the data, a warming trend of one degree centigrade, centigrade appeared. And it says... Um, the NZCSC story reports that the New Zealand authorities formally stated that, in their opinion, they are not required to use the best available information, <laughs> nor to apply the best scientific practices and techniques available at any given time. They don't think that forms any part of their statutory obligation to pursue excellence. So pursuing the truth is, is, doesn't really matter to these scientists. They will pursue the answer that their masters that pay them through the grants want. That's what they pursue. And it says Niwa now denies there was any such thing as an official NZ temperature record. Uh, so, so in other words, the government is literally distancing themselves from these uh, advisory uh, gut professionals. They were going to change. I wonder if they'll take the fart tax away as well, because all New Zealand farmers paying the fart tax for CO2. Maybe they should blow that up as well. That would be quite an explosion in the sky, wouldn't it? Well, from Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>